Welcome, dear listener, to the Weird Sisters podcast, a place of magic, whimsy, and imagination. I'm Emma. And I'm Kate. And we are your witchy hosts for the evening. Hello, darling. Hello, how are you doing today? Oh, I'm just lovely. Um, do you happen to have the key with you? Oh, I can't, can't seem to oh, yeah. Find it. I think I think I do. Can you can you hold this? Uh, of this course, darling. Of course. Yeah. yeah, of course. It. Oh, is it? Does it always make this noise? Or? Oh, you, d- don't worry. Don't worry about that. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Fine. Great. Yeah. Not worried. <laughs> oh, here's the key. Okay. Here's the key. Yeah. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> Well, now that we've got our tea, uh, what, should we settle down in our chairs? Because it's it's twilight now in the Emporium, and there's no customers right now. Why don't we just have a nice chat and a lovely cup of tea? Does that sound nice? Hello, darling. Hello, my love. How are you doing today? Well, I'll be much better once I have a cup of tea with you by the fire. I'm just delighted to be here with you this week, away from the, the rest of the world. Oh, I need I need this escape so much right now. <laughs> yes, I'm so happy we can come into our little store and we just oh. close the door and we leave it all behind us. It's lovely. And, and I think as we make our tea, is there any wonderful product that you would like to recommend to our, our listener this week? Yeah, so I have something I'm very excited that I'm working on right now. So you know how uh, clothing shopping is yeah. the biggest pain in the world. And it's just like, it's getting it's getting worse all the time. It's because a you're trying to find You can't find things in physical stores mm-hmm. anymore, but mm-hmm. if it's online, you don't know how it's going to fit. And this is particularly the case for pants for me. Like, I have a horrible, horrible time finding pants, you know, and Mm. I have three criteria with pants, which I think most of us probably have similar criteria. They have to fit well. Uh, (laughs) They have to have pockets. And they have to make your butt look good, right? Those are are the three, I think, essential criteria. But it's so hard. So I've been working Mm. on uh, the perfect pants, which when you put them on... They fit you perfectly. They look amazing. And the pockets are shockingly deep, but easy still to access what you need. Uh, and they don't, they, don't, they don't look big from the outside. Um, now, there is, there is a caveat with these pants because there is a sense of power that comes when you wear these pants. So I would recommend, these are good for, say, you want to go in and talk to your boss about that raise you were promised two years ago and that still hasn't arrived. Good pants for that. Not maybe so good if, like, say you're going to your in-laws and you don't want to get into a confrontation about that behavior. You've talked to them about multiple times before. Maybe then you you don't don't wear the pants. Just you use use your judgment. But um, but yes, the powerfully and and the butt looking 
the butt looking so good can in, it can, in yes, itself create jealousy, a confrontation. They can, yeah. You know, so for, you just, for those you who know, aren't so ready. Just be a little bit beware of just like yeah. be mindful in that, like when you break out your, your powerfully perfect pants. Yeah. yeah. Um, perfect pant responsibly. I think that's the way that's, we maybe need to write that on the bottom just to cover ourselves, you know, legally speaking. Um, and I guess we should clarify too, since you are originally from the UK, that when we speak of pants, we're speaking about trousers, <laughs> not underpants. Oh, any, any international oh, okay. audience. Members, okay, that's a different mental yeah, picture than I was. Okay, that does explain. Mm -hmm, yeah, I got it now. Yeah, yeah, that does explain a lot. That explains some of the confusion over Christmas, but that's fine. That's a personal issue. We can we can not worry about that. Um, my wonderful potion is actually a reader request, a reader, a listener request this week. Ooh. I know. And honestly, even though the request came in writing, I sensed that this listener was just incredibly attractive and, and clever and, and lovely to be around. I just, you know, it's just my, my witchy intuition. And I'm picking up that vibe as yeah. well, even though I didn't, haven't read yeah. the, the, uh, the I think it's just yeah. flowing out. It's just, you just get that vibe. Um, and, and our lovely listener requested that instead of the cuddle tea, which brings people close to you, which is lovely, she would rather uh, a keep everyone away potion. Um, she, oh, she would like yes. some space between her and the world and all of the, particularly the people who live in the world. Um, that's particularly something she's eager. Dolphins, great. People, not so much. So I have invented uh, the Cone of Silence potion. Um, oh. So you, you put just a couple of drops under the tongue, also has extra vitamin D and vitamin B. Great for this time of year. And it just creates around you a, a pleasant cone of just invisibility. You're there, but you're in a bubble. They can see you, but there's just something that says, don't bother, I'll go over, I'll ask dad instead, or I'll go and I'll just play in the snow for three hours. You know, just something else, a colleague, they have a question, but huh, I'm gonna ask someone else this time. So it's just, it slides, it, the world slides away. And I feel that there's probably quite oh, a lot of people. Brilliant. Quite a lot of people are looking for that. So that was an amazing reader listener request from a, a just, I assume, just one of the most attractive people in the world. Um. Uh, well, I will speak on behalf of all the introverts oh, out there yeah. and say that this sounds utterly blissful. Mm. Uh, there's times when you need to go out into the world, but you're just not in a mode to be Absolutely. sharing that energy with people. Mm -hmm. This sounds like a beautiful, protective little yeah. little hamster ball yeah. for us introverts. And I love yeah. that. I call yeah. that feeling January. It's just <laughs> yes. that whole month. I'm like, please leave me alone. I need to, I need to be under a duvet. Not, it's not humane. It really isn't. It's not okay. No, it is the month to be in it. Uh, and we're not allowed to be. Yeah. <laughs> Which I insist on saying like a, a, a cartoon. Like a Looney Tunes. <laughs> 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 I mean, just spit your water out. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, that, that was a little dangerous there. <laughs> oh, sorry. Health for safety. <laughs> the Weird Sisters get dreamy.
But for <laughs> others, you aren't lucky enough to get so to see I am, I am a pretty vivid dreamer, but a lot of times it's usually a lot of noise, a lot of chaos, a lot of very odd, you know, sort of disconnected things, which is why this one stood out to me because of like mm-hmm. extremely vivid and like my awareness of like who I was in the dream was so strong. Whereas normally I'm just me in all my dreams or some version of me. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. Yeah. Exactly. So in this case, and there was still plenty of chaos like leading up to this point, but close to when I woke up, which is, I think usually when we remember most of it, <laughs> I, you know, I had this experience where I was moving through this world mm-hmm. um, where there was a lot of very wealthy people doing a lot of cruel things. And I know, shocking, right? I can't at all be based on real oh life my at goodness, all. Shocker. <laughs> and as I was moving through That's this world mean. and seeing these terrible things, I became aware <laughs> that I was Poseidon. Like literally, literally the embodiment of Poseidon, still in female form, still in me, me form, but mm. I was Poseidon. And uh you know, I was. I, th- I think there mm-hmm. were other gods there with me. Mm-hmm. I think the person with me, like walking next to me, was Zeus. But again, looked like a normal human, but was like the embodiment of Zeus, and in male form. But we were going through this space, and then we were at like a pool party, which I know sounds mm-hmm. really funny. Where you're like, oh, there's this horrible place for people doing bad things, and hey, pool party. But that <laughs> also kind of fits with the I mean, you know the elite. It, it, with my knowledge of Hollywood, and, uh, and it, it runs pretty deep, I think we can say confidently a pool party is on brand for evil. There, there are a lot of evil at pool parties. So there was this one rich, you know, jerk, basically, we'll call him. Oh, so. Yes. It sounds so much nicer <laughs> when you say <laughs> your posh little accent. So. Oh, yes. I, and he was, so he was there and I knew he was like, he was bad news. Um, and he was, you know, the usual, like, he was young, he was good looking, but very arrogant and like, you just knew bad, bad news. And. It was just interesting going into the situation, though, because I was Poseidon and I was like a god, Mm -hmm. I felt completely empowered in that moment. Like I had absolute control of everything going on, especially because there was water in the environment. Like I was in my element, which water is actually like my element. And Mm. I was just like, but I like that feeling of absolute empowerment. I also knew I looked incredible, <laughs> which is not yeah. a feeling I often get in real life, <laughs> but it felt amazing. Oh, it should be. <laughs> Gorgeous minks. And it was really interesting where like Zeus and I like went into the pool and went up to this rich asshole basically and <laughs> and I was doing sort of this fake seduction thing to lure him into mm-hmm. this you know feeling of safety around us where I was like yeah. giving him these little kisses on the cheek and like it definitely wasn't <laughs> going to go anywhere near his mouth because I was like you're a jerk you don't earn that for me mm-hmm. but it just still like trying mm-hmm. to like and then I presumably we were going to do something to him at that point <laughs> to sort of make yeah. a bit of karma for the things he had done in his life <laughs> well, um, but Unfortunately, well, I woke up at that point, so you know it didn't yeah. didn't get to that part of it. But just what stuck with me was that sense of empowerment, being a hundred percent like comfortable and confident in my skin, knowing I had everything handled. Like 
it was just mm. it was so incredible and it's so hard to like let go of that feeling when you're awake you want to like hold on to it because it's not something i think many of us get to experience in our day to day not usually no so um so i just thought it was very interesting then when i messaged you about it and you you sort of talked about a calling through a dream and so i wanted you know to hear a little bit of your thoughts and and maybe your experience and and sort of yeah. messaging through dreams I, I'm a big believer in, in paying attention to dreams. It's, I think, even if it's your psyche kind of letting you know what's in there, it, I don't think it matters. I think it's your subconscious communicating with you in some way, and whether it's coming from your sort of higher brain or a spiritual source or whatever you know your belief system is, it can still be really helpful, I think, just to break it down. When I... I had a dream that I sort of deduced was what I felt was a calling to a particular sort of spiritual way of being. It's interesting that you talked about being in an element because I was on grass and I was wearing a green dress mm. and, and I'm very much a land-based creature, <laughs> <laughs> like mammoths, <laughs> really not, you know, lovely and smashing on land, cozy and well insulated, but very ungainly in the water. Um, that's one of me. Um, so, yeah. And, and in my dream, sort of weird things happen, but what struck me as being very much the same was the sense of self-awareness of like, I know I'm having a dream and I was sort of in it, but I was also kind of aware of standing out of it. Mm. And it and I, like at one point I said to myself, I was looking in the mirror and I remember thinking, oh, that's not me. I don't look like that because it was a different person in the mirror. And there were things like being said, and I was like, that's not English, but I can understand it. Mm. So there were things like that, where I kind of, it, it just didn't, it, it wasn't like a normal dream. It didn't have that rushed sense. It was very, you know, there were things happening, but I was having time to kind of really think about it and kind of take it on board. And it stayed with me. And there was things like, I, there were words that were whispered to me that I, at the time I understood, but I didn't remember later, but felt had that sort of magical, that something had shifted and changed, even though I couldn't necessarily remember what it was, which is pretty much like my entire life story. Something happened. I'm not entirely sure. I can't remember, but I'm 900% it was super important. That's like really how it goes for me. And I definitely see you like knowing you as a friend as well and having seen you kind of come into that power and confidence just a little bit more over the last little while. And I think being a witch, you know, we we love Terry Pratchett or hell, Terry Pratchett. Yes. And, you know, that phrase of, you know, a witch should never be scared. She should know she's the scariest thing in the woods. And I, I like that in terms of the confidence that we're supposed to embody. It's, it's not always easy, but if you're going to, step into that role you know then i think you have to kind of you have to have a certain amount of bravado if you're gonna face the forces of evil <laughs> in whatever form they come usually oh wet man i mean that pretty much was the face of evil in my dream yes yeah, so. <laughs> <laughs> i really i think it's interesting as well that you talked about a rich guy because we talked about gryla and you talked about setting her on wall street so you were definitely bringing some gryla energy there of like hey baby i gotta rip your face off but no, not 12 tails or whatever it was she had. It's just, in terms of getting pants, that's really going to 
be difficult. That is a good point, though, that we did have that conversation the previous time. And then, I mean, I think I might have been slightly influenced by watching the first episode of Percy Jackson. And, you know, I mean, who isn't? But who it's isn't? Great. But also the fact that it was Poseidon and not another like Greek guy, yeah. I think is interesting because I've always thought more of like, you know, about the female gods. So, but, mm. but then the fact that it was the water, you know, the water god, um, the sea god, when I'm, I'm so connected to the sea. So it just clearly my brain was making some connections for me. Yeah. The feeling you come away with. And it's learning to trust that feeling that is is the journey into sort of witchcraft or paganism or whatever journey you're on, honestly. It's to just have the self-belief, not delusional, not when everyone's screaming at you like, don't go over the cliff, but there is a difference. (laughs) There's that feeling of, no, I've I've got this. And it usually comes with compassion and kindness. And I think you can tell the difference because you're not screaming with like a sign. Poseidon is coming! (laughs) (laughs) And that's a good point. Like, I wasn't going through causing chaos, like, just using my powers, just to use my powers. It was very much... And I was trying to look like a normal human. You know, I wanted to blend. I just wanted to Mm. take out certain problematic (laughs) individuals. I mean, you've got no idea. As you do. (laughs) Literally. No, we are. If there's a page... Both of our faces are on that page. That's where I'm coming from. (laughs) We're on that same page. So this is a continuation of uh, a segment I like to think of in my mind as good advice slash bad advice question mark uh, as we <laughs> look at some of the advice that has been given to uh, particularly women over mm. uh, over you know not not so far away times um, terrifyingly so is- <laughs> recent it's horrifying. So this is a continuation of our discussion of advice from McCall in 1958 on uh, for women on how to get a husband though i do i do feel like we didn't talk about this at all last time i do want to give a shout out to all the women of that time who did not want a husband and yet we're still they had to have one um and also a shout out to all the women who uh found a way to just move in with their roommate and yes uh, contentedly that yes a lovely female companion which frankly sounds amazing (laughs) i'm not gonna lie it sounds very pleasant indeed and and there's a reason the patriarchy patriarchy exists because otherwise women would all just be living in cottages with immaculate linens and <laughs> the species would have died out <laughs> i do think the, the era of the companion should come back <clears throat> i do think that would be a lovely thing <clears throat> i agree I'm getting so hoarse here i'm just so mm. overwhelmed with my feelings <laughs> it's, it's all it's all the passion rising up in you Unbidden. so <laughs> when we last <clears throat> oh god so sorry with my voice when we last left our intrepid uh, protagonist let us call her our uh, world she been, traveler she had mm. been doing what she was supposed to do she had been following all this advice uh she got a dog which is of course always a good thing to do but then uh, she did abandon him fairly early on which you know so we deducted some points for that not so great but she did leave him with the tow truck driver who she had been friends with when she broke yeah. down her car they not a not husband but he, you know friend who watches a her tonic support system is what she and and I really that's off because if anyone needs it it's this woman <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> 
So, uh, so yeah, stepping into some of the uh, next pieces of advice. Um, <clears throat> one of these is uh, volunteer for jury duty because nothing says Ooh. romance like <laughs> listen to the details of a horrifying crime uh, and while you're locked Ooh, into a spot. Crime. That's so sexy. There's nothing like a good beheading to bring people together. <laughs> I mean, I will say volunteering for jury duty is a good thing to do, like doing your physically mm. good thing to do. But, I'd but love to with do the it. goal of meeting a husband, um, mm. eh, not, <laughs> not. Yeah, so. you have to ask a few questions, don't you? Because the, the jury has been selected for a very specific like reason. <laughs> so you want to be really sure that he's not one of the ones <laughs> that they're like, oh yeah, he seems like he'll convict. Let's let's get him. He seems like a good judgmental lunatic. Uh, I mean, I will yeah. say, considering it's 1958, the proportion of men on the jury is probably quite high compared to the number of women. True. So That's such a good sense. point. But mm. I, yeah, I, I have never, I have yet to hear of a meet cute happening on jury. <laughs> If it has, please do. Right in. I'm expecting dozens of letters correcting that. I'm just saying, I met my Stanley while while overseeing some tax fraud. They became entwined passionately in one another's arms. Um, it's the only it's the only way that love can really flourish in a modern society. Well, they really do appreciate that in 1958 they were like, "Hey, ladies, do your civic duty." It's real hot. <laughs> that's, that's kind of cool. I like that. So uh, this next one is uh, get lost at football games. <laughs> Which... um, I'm I I'm lost. <laughs> I mean, the act of getting lost at a football game would be very easy to do for me. Uh, however, really, I, isn't it just a pitch? The. <laughs> Like, I'm confused. Like, where are you getting lost? It's just a big green square. Like, you're just there. Just stand around the edges. Where are you going? <laughs> I do think they mean in the, like, stadium seating part oh, of it. Oh, okay. Um, okay. Um, you're right. Much, yeah. Gosh, did you have stadiums in America in 1958? That's very posh, isn't it? We oh, didn't that's true. I guess, actually, at that time, we probably really didn't. I, okay, now, football fix. <laughs> was the first stadium built yes. in America? <laughs> because I, I think the demographic we are we are programming for are very much football fans. Oh, of so they'll be they're going to be on us over this. Like they are there be, is a oh. there is a big <laughs> slash football fan out there who feels very seen right now. Yeah, and I apologize yeah, for nothing. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> All apologize right, so. for nothing. Sorry, I just really like that phrase. Oh, sorry, carry on. <laughs> so our our wonderful protagonist, oh. so she volunteered for jury duty, but it was a little too horrifying to feel romantic. <laughs> she went and yeah. got lost at a fo- football uh, arena, let's just say. Um, but all the helpful staff, presumably, just kept telling her where yeah. she needed to be instead of actually, yeah. you know, meeting anyone. And so, none of the staff, presumably, were her type. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, okay. One's assuming. Um, yeah. Now, this one, ooh, this is this definitely go to me. It goes under the bad advice part of this situation. <laughs> Don't be afraid to associate with more attractive girls. They may have some leftovers. Ew! I, I, I. 
Oh, I mean, I'm, oh. There's I a just pack with just that one little piece. Yeah, that's the dirtiest phrase I think I've ever heard in all my born days. And I've heard. I'm gonna hear telling you now. I've heard some dirty phrases, <laughs> but leftovers has a wet feeling that I'm not comfortable with. I mean, I, again, <laughs> supposedly at this time, right? All these women are supposed to be quite, uh, you know shall we say chase in how they're handling their relationships oh, yeah. but i mean of course realistically a that's not what happened sure. and b it's a, to me it's very diminishing of the men involved of like you were into this woman over there i'm gonna pick you up while you're sad and depressed that she doesn't want you I, again for me yeah, it's oh. it's not treating somebody as like a valid human being with their own feelings. Mm, it's, not like no. it's like, oh, you got you got you know dropped in the trash by this woman over here. Look, I can pick you up. <laughs> now your standards will be low enough to accept my wretched person. <laughs> like it's not. You're not. It's just like, oh, you. Oh, you're very predatory in that environment. It's like, oh, you seem really sad. Now this is the moment to. Swim swoop in and like bring you to my side like that doesn't feel doesn't feel healthy i'm not gonna lie yeah and i uh yeah it just feels it feels very diminishing of people as human beings so i'm gonna say that <laughs> yeah. our intrepid protagonist uh read this one and was like no just no <laughs> even in 1958 she was like no this is not this is not how i treat people uh, <laughs> I love that we're building this character of a woman and she's growing through this process and it's heartening. She's she's learning from this experience. Um, Aren't we all? Absolutely. Now, this next one I just find absolutely hilarious is uh, get a job demonstrating fishing tackle in a sporting goods store. (laughs) It's not even just it's not a generic get a job in a sporting goods store. No, you want to go for the fishermen. The fishermen are where is that? I just, my, my eyes met over a, a worm. It was like over a dried worm with a feather in it. I knew that Quentin was the man for me. His choice in fly fashion, accoutrement, let me know he was the man of my dreams. Like, what was he doing that would make you think, well, this is the one? Like, well, I just from the, from the man's perspective, too, of sort of coming in and being like, I knew I loved her when I saw how she handled her fishing tackle. When she wound that line up good and tight, I knew she was the one for me. Mm. She had some really nice books. Fishing is so, in general, unsexy anyway. Like, the idea of it as an avenue to love, really, I really feel like it's, you. I mean, first of all, smell of fish. Like, I'm not going to lie. Not the most aphrodisiac scent as far as I'm concerned. You know, I guess that's why they say stick to the sporting goods store and don't actually um, go fishing or do anything. <laughs> I mean, so. Yeah, that's fair. They at no point suggest actually fishing, which is reasonable because it's my brother-in-law who will not 
not ever listen to this so I can say whatever I like. He's a big fisher. <laughs> He's big into fishing. And and I think it's done as shit. So I can say that. Because in, in the full knowledge that you'll never know. I could say anything right now. I could accuse him of crimes. Um, no, he likes to fish. And I don't... I think he just likes the quiet. I think it's just... I think it's just men standing in silence. Yeah, I think it's one of those hobbies that I think can be very, like, you're out in nature, you're enjoying the quiet, all that. That all makes sense to me. Um, But I just love that they were like, no, stick to the sporting goods store. But again, (laughs) our intrepid protagonist decides she actually wants to try fishing and she picks up a new hobby. And she's so, like, honestly, if she didn't pick up a little bit of fishing skill on her uh, bicycle trip across post-war Europe... I'm pretty sure she would have learned how to snag the odd trout just for survival. You know, for the Alps, there's not a lot of KFC going on. So you never know. Maybe she was already quite good. <laughs> and then um, this piece of oh, advice, dear. I think, is, is is there is something good, but then there's something. Oh no. Again. <laughs> So, first so of all, worried. it says learn to paint, which I think, again, it's a great hobby. Like, awesome. she's, she's been fishing. Now she can learn to paint and she can, like, paint the, like, nature stream yes. scenes and stuff. Um, but the second part of this advice is set up your easel outside of an engineering school. Oh, my God. I am confounded. I am... Well, as we as we know, uh, engineering schools are famous for how aesthetically pleasing they are and how many people want well, to paint them. Well, that's the funny thing, actually, is that my annoying husband, who interrupted us earlier, was a mechanical engineer, and the building that they had was stunning Victorian facades, very, um, you know, big red brick, all the big windows and all of that. So it was really aesthetically pleasing. And clearly I was the manic pixie dream girl of his dreams because we've been together nearly 30 years. But I can say with absolute certainty that if you stood outside the engineering school with an easel and your watercolors, someone would call the police. There is just no no satisfactory explanation that you could offer for your presence in that moment. It's just like you can't. The authorities would just be immediately swooping you up and, and assuming that you have a mental disorder. <laughs> and also... I found the only attractive engineer. I'm not going to lie, like the rest of them are like bats and buses. I'm not, I'm not sure that the pool is as hot as they might imagine. Oh. Well, once oh, again, I'm going to push back and say, engineers, you're beautiful people. Of course they are. Of course. Um, On the inside. <laughs> I don't mean it. Never <laughs> <laughs> the trouble. Like, first, first you get into it with the tow truck drivers. Now the- <laughs> Seriously, I am. It's a good job no one's listening because I'm causing havoc. <laughs> if we get a listenership, well, you're gonna have to fire me or cancel me or something. <laughs> 
first the tow truck drivers now mechanical engineers from the 90s who's next on the jumping block no one's safe <laughs> no one's safe from my excoriation oh god well assuming that the engineering school is a bust <laughs> although i really appreciate that she's getting some opportunity to do some still life painting <laughs> Well, I do have to say too, like, just from my, you know, again, my, my father was a mechanical engineer. So yeah, I, you know, oh, it's getting hot in here. <laughs> but just to say, like, I just like picture all these engineers just like noticing her, but walking past because yeah, it would involve talking to another human yeah. being. Yeah. Having been in a relationship with an engineer and having stood outside the engineering building waiting for him can confirm. <laughs> they look at you like, what? And like, there was just a rabbit on the step. Like, they're just like, okay. <laughs> they just move on. They're not a romantically inclined bunch. <laughs> if, you, if you had like um, some Meccano awesome let go now that would i think that if you had that on a little table like, and you just gave them a little like hello i think they might be entranced <laughs> more than watercolors or are we talking gouache <laughs> I need to lie down. <laughs> okay. Just breathe, Emma. Just breathe. <laughs> oh, all right. <laughs> Sweet. Whew, okay. Do we have the energy for one more? <laughs> let's see. Let's see. We can do one more. <clears throat> okay. <clears throat> um, let's see. Okay. Let me find a, a good one here. Uh, okay. So this one, uh, wear a Band-Aid. People always ask what happened. <laughs> <laughs> So our poor intrepid protagonist slapping band-aids on all over to get people to ask her what happened. But then you have to come up with a story of what happened. Like you have to have a good, a good, like captivating. Like you can't just say I bumped into something because then they'll just say okay. You have to have like. So I was like, well, I guess she was going on a hike. So she could say I was hiking in the woods. Oh, she's got stories. Yeah. And this I used my so fishing weird. tackle to fight off the bear. Yes, to garrote him. <laughs> like Leonardo DiCaprio. Yeah, but this is, so this is a woman who has intrepidly got across the world. She's lived in the desert. She's crossed post-war Europe. She can fish. <laughs> she knows how to do it. And, and yet she's going to put a band-aid on the back of her hand and be like, I've got a bobo. Like, what, is she, what kind of man is she trying to attract? like this and also in my experience men don't notice when you have a literal bag on your head <laughs> they're gonna be like hang on i don't think i noticed that tiny band-aid on your finger before like they're not gonna it has notice to be that so, it has to be so prominent is the thing you to get you, somebody to ask about it a literal like, head injury yeah. you would need to actually hit yourself with a hammer which frankly you'd have to have done to follow this list in the first place but i don't see people throwing themselves at your feet being like oh i notice you have a 
paper cut. Because <laughs> like, no, a Band-Aid doesn't imply like serious injury. I think if you want people to ask questions, you need like a cast. You need, oh, like, yeah, or like a sling or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But then what if they found out you were lying? <laughs> like, how would, how would that be when it was like three dates in and it's going really well and they're like so i never really found out the story you seem to have healed now like what's going on and you're like yeah so funny story <laughs> like they wouldn't back away <laughs> and report you to the authorities as a risk to all society well we'd have to remember this is a woman who pretended her car was broken down to terminate somebody <laughs> so i guess she's learning oh, she's learning maybe as she goes that that mysteries Agreed. are not the best way to approach the dating life yeah i do feel like she's almost like a sort of a, an alien or a robot just kind of going through the world i, I can't imagine <laughs> writing this and being like that seems like a normal thing a woman would do <laughs> that seems like what Beryl would do like what did men think was going on <laughs> I, life, like every time a woman broke down they were like well you know what she's up to <laughs> I can't help but think that this was the era where people could more easily keep like booze at their desk and whoever <laughs> whoever was writing this list was like taking shots as they were going and just kept getting like it gets further and further out there as they go. So your explanation for the 50s is alcoholism. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I mean unless there's a better theory. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm with you. Like, it really adds up. <laughs> oh dear, I think, I think oh, we've broken Emma. I think you might have broken me. I think I need to lie down. <laughs> And now, this. Chapter 2 As the hall fell silent, the boards began to settle once more into their pre-people state. The dust that had been disturbed began to settle slowly back into new and exciting places. Even a dust moat likes to travel occasionally. The old hall, familiar with the comings and goings of many generations, settled quickly and easily back into its quiet former state. But this was only stage one of the resettling. You see, there are stages to silence that aren't always immediately identifiable, but you know it when you see it. After the noise and bustle, the room itself seems to hold on to some of the energy and activity it recently contained, as if the echoes of conversation hang in the air. The second stage is when the room falls back into its dreaming reverie once more. The workings and worries of humans forgotten. This is when the mice will start to peek about and scratch. When the chance of a return visitor forgetting their glasses is long gone. And when this microcosm of a world returns to its own equilibrium. So it was in the town hall a deeper silence falling that was only accentuated by random scritches and rustlings that were of no concern to the upper world. It was only then that a shadow in the corner of a beam began to unfurl. The denizen of the roof joists slowly uncurled from their unseen watching place and shimmied gymnastically down the boarded walls, landing barefoot with only a small thud. Not even the mice were alarmed. The beam-dwelling personage was young, well, youngish, 
probably of the female persuasion, but dressed in a way that indicated no one was taking care of them. Her bare feet were dusty and black muck encrusted her toes and fingernails, but her face was washed clean and sharp eyes roamed around constantly, each sense alive to the possibility of danger. Here, however, she was more familiar. She knew this place, its entrances and exits, the secret places that offered shelter or a place to hide, and so she relaxed a little, easing into the peace and thinking over all that she had just witnessed. The child was an orphan, the legitimate mystery of an orphan. She had arrived in the town on a ship that sank, and that was as much as she knew about her history, but the streets of this town were now her home, and this new intrusion was quite fascinating. Unlike most of the townsfolk, this urchin had been aware of the arrival of Miss Nordlander just a week ago. A ship had arrived under the bright moon, and the orphan observed from behind stacked boxes and barrels, sure she was unseen. Sailors brought abundant luggage ashore, but only one trunk seemed to belong to the mysterious stranger, who immediately established herself at the local inn. Something about the newcomer had captured the orphan's interest, so she made excuses to be near the inn and watched to see what this mysterious stranger would do. The answer was, quite disappointingly, not much. Miss Nordlander seemed to stay in her room most days, only travelling through the streets once darkness began to fall. She visited various businesses and seemed to make some small purchases, but most of the time seemed to be spent on boring adult occupations. The orphan nearly gave up on her self-imposed quest, but the night before the town meeting, Ms. Nordlander made her way in a new direction entirely. Moving quietly and gracefully through the streets, the cloaked figure made her way like one born here, through the confusing passageways of the market and out towards the town boundaries. Once there, the orphan had a brief moment of pause, wondering if perhaps she should stay within the bounds of the town, the town that had become her whole world on a tragic night some nine years previous. Stepping out from the shadows and safety of the familiar buildings and streets felt alien and briefly frightening, but this was not the first time the girl had been frightened, not by a long chalk. So she breathed deeply, the fresh dampness of early twilight swirling pleasantly in her nostrils, and moved as quietly as she could through the woodland shadows. But that's a story for another day. This podcast was recorded, produced, written by, and acted by Emma Thompson-Jones and Kate Ostergren. It's absolutely so. My my husband is sliding rainbow covered cables sinisterly at me from round a corner in an attempt to not interrupt, which was more of an interruption than if you just give it. You can put that away. No one wants to see that on this podcast. That's not a site for radio. <laughs> oh, it's chaos. It's never ending chaos. I'm breathing. Well, we're amused. <laughs> Thank you for joining us. We hope to see you next time at the Twilight Emporium.